Were you afraid I wouldn't come back? I know after such a long absence last time, it can be a bit traumatic. You may have even become convinced that I would abandon you. But alas, I have not, nor have you abandoned me. And we would never dream of doing such a thing. Welcome back once again to the Twice the Lutheran podcast. I'm your host with the most, Pastor Wells. But again, that's Wells with two L's because I'm, you know it, you love it, Twice the Lutheran. Thank you again to those of you who have reached out to me online. I so thoroughly enjoy hearing from you. If you haven't had the occasion to do so yet, go ahead and send me a line. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. And thank you to those of you who have so graciously donated to keep this podcast operational. Funded for another year. If you would still like to join the donation club, let me know. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. I'll get in touch with you. We are camping out for now and for maybe another episode or two as we examine in depth this hot button issue. The hot-button commandment for 2023 and beyond, the Sixth Commandment. Here again is the Sixth Commandment. You shall not commit adultery, followed by that most Lutheran of all questions, what does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. Seems to be a taller and taller ask every year, huh? This is sort of a a running theme throughout history. It's even a running theme throughout the scriptures. As societies devolve, you notice that people kind of show that in their sexual relationships or lack thereof, I don't think anybody could make the argument as they survey the sexual landscape of the United States and even the world to a certain extent. I don't think anyone could make the argument that we are particularly healthy or reflecting healthy attitudes and concerns with regards to our sexual relationships. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. But marriage is by and large a solution. Because as we studied last time, and again, if you haven't listened to the last episode, go back, go back, go back. There's a lot more episodes for you to catch up on if you haven't heard them yet and you're just joining us now. But in the last episode, we identified three, one, two, three reasons, blessings, if you will, in marriage. One, companionship, two, sexual happiness, and three, children, procreation. And we do usually leave them in that order, by the way. 
Not so with the Roman Catholic Church, from what I've been told. I don't know this firsthand, so if you have better information than me, please correct me. But it used to be, from what I'm told, it used to be the rule in the Roman Catholic Church that every time a man and a wife enjoyed the blessing of physical intercourse, the Roman Catholic Church would say that the desired result needed to be children. That that was really the only way that God would put his stamp of approval on the sexual relationship between husband and wife is that if they were seeking to have children. We would say that the blessing of sexual happiness between husband and wife is a blessing all on its own. All on its own. So why do we need marriage then? Let's dive back into the commandment. I'm on page 83 of the catechism, if you're following along. Uh, the new catechism for, if you're a, a lifelong Lutheran, uh, this for you is the new catechism. If you're just joining us, it's the catechism. But this new catechism has these sections called A Closer Look, and they're really quite good. I enjoy reading them. We're going to begin our investigation back of the catechism with that section on page 83 entitled A Closer Look. Here's what it says. Marriage, the foundation for the family. That's the title of this little Closer Look section. Here's what it says. As we contemplate the blessings God gives us through marriage, we clearly see the importance of protecting and strengthening the marriage relationship. Marriage provides the foundation for the family unit. This family structure is designed to play a huge role in the spiritual, social, and financial stability of every member of the family. In Christian homes, husbands and wives encourage each other with the word of God. In Deuteronomy 6, God instructs parents to teach God's word to their children. The teamwork of a committed husband and wife makes it easier to support and raise children. Have we lost that understanding in the 21st century? I think we have. Have you noticed that so much of our conversation regarding, let's say, the battle of the sexes has Women, and to a certain degree men too, seeking to be completely independent of each other. Who won that battle? Who convinced us that this was better? They use the term like strong and independent woman. And how do they apply it? To say that a woman should be able to be completely absent of a man. Even if she's had children with a man. I'm telling you, this leads to a miserable life. God's design is that we would happily, as man and wife, not become independent. I mean, as men and women, not become independent of each other, but learn to lean into each other all the more. In fact, God has designed his church on earth to work that way. To not let men and women have voices independent of each other, but encourages and even pushes men and women together, especially in, in that marriage covenant, in that marriage bond. God wants unity. And so even in society, we see it reflected in life. 
A single mother just plain old has a harder go of it than a single uh, than a married woman. Now be careful when you go there though. I've heard people get kind of too aggressive about that. Realize that some women are single moms not by their own choosing whether they their husband died and they've been widowed or they've been abandoned. So be ever so gentle there and realize that probably if that's the case, if she's a victim of divorce through abandonment or otherwise, or if she's widowed, recognize she probably has a harder go of it and therefore treat her all the more gently. But God's design, of course, is that men and women need each other. Men are not independent of woman. Woman is not independent of man. This is by God's design. And so the catechism points this out. It said the family structure is designed to play a huge role in the spiritual, social, and financial stability of every member of the family. And if you break that apart, the catechism's given us three applications there. The family structure is designed to play a huge role in the spiritual stability. This plays out all the time. You can watch the statistical probability of a child coming to church. You will watch that statistical probability drop away as the family unit disintegrates. What do I mean by that? If a child goes to church with mom and dad together, mom and dad, the likelihood that that child is going to go to church is like way high. And the biggest determining factor in that statistic is where dad is. So here, I looked it up. When both parents attend Bible study in addition to the Sunday service, 72% of their children attend Sunday school when grown. Now, this is Sunday school, but, I mean, you're probably not going to go to Sunday school without going to church. So for the sake of this argument, we're going to say, until proven otherwise, that the percentage is 72. If mom and dad both go to church, 72% likelihood the child grows up to go to church. If only the father attends Sunday school without mom, still a 55% chance the children will continue attending when they're grown. Over half, 55%. Now, if only the mother attends, what do you think that pr- probability drops to? 72 if both of them go, 55% if just dad goes, and if just mom goes with the children, 15%. That is a huge drop, fifteen from 55 to 15% likelihood. And when neither parent attends Sunday school, this one I I think is shockingly high. 6% of children attend when they're grown. That's pretty high. So in evangelism, and that's what we call going out and talking to people, we kind of know this. So if you if the father gets there, and I'm reading this right off my screen, I don't nickkady.org, I don't know, somebody posted this statistic. When father is first, there is a 93% probability everyone else in the household will follow. Statistically, we know that if in evangelism we get mom, we'll maybe get the children too. But if we get dad to come to church, 
moms and children also follow, like 93% of the time. Look at God's design. When we're talking about male leadership, when we're talking about stability in the house, God has just a whole lot to say to the men in their proper role of leadership. This brings stability and spiritual identity to the family when dad is taking family to church. That brings spiritual stability. And the catechism also says the family unit brings social stability. Social stability. And if you just look it up here, from the social aspect, not the spiritual aspect, but the social aspect, again, the presence of a father, of dad, of husband, engaged and in tune, makes all the difference in the world. Here's some statistics for you, and we've seen this. So if you look up crime rates from fatherless homes, fatherless children are more likely to suffer from psychological development issues, more likely to live in poverty, more likely to drop out of school, more likely to engage in school violence, abuse substances, and enter the juvenile justice system. Wow. Father absence as a predictor of violence is robust for both male and female violence. I'm re- Again, I'm reading these statistics right off a of screen here. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from single-parent homes, almost as if something is missing for the children. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than their peers. And, And the statistics just go on and on and on. In fact, I remember seeing... A, a news report of one school that was uh, just out of control, out of control with violence. Kids were beating on each other in the hallways. Security guards weren't fixing it. You know what fixed it? A group of dads got together and they said, let's just go patrol the hallways. And the violence completely disappeared. The children loved to see the dads in the hallways. Dads bring a stabilizing element to the lives of children. They bring peace to the lives of their wives, stability and protection. This is the way God wanted this designed. So the family structure, mom and dad together with children, the family structure of the Bible is designed to play a huge role, I'm reading out of the catechism again, in the spiritual, social, and financial stability. You want one way to become financially stable? Here it is. Have a biblical marriage. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason to have a biblical marriage is to be financially stable. I'm saying that what God has written and how God has established humanity, living the opposite of that, we see it play out even in society. The people who have the hardest go of it are men who are paying out the nose for child support because they're not at home with their wife and their children. The women who have the hardest go of it in life are the single moms who aren't being supported by the father of their children. So if you want to fix just a whole lot of societal ills, strengthen your family. 
strengthen your family relationships. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about just what does that mean and how do we do that. I mean, that's finally what all of the Scripture is about. Finally, a, a strong family, a healthy family, we could say from one perspective is sort of a byproduct. A strong family is a byproduct of a man centered in Christ and a woman centered in Christ, married and taking care of each other and their children. I mean, that finally is where a strong, stable family comes from. You really cannot have that strong, stable family without a man centered in Christ as an individual and a woman centered in Christ as an individual. And then they come together and they produce a family. And as they continue to live out their Christian faith, it produces a an atmosphere very conducive to healthy living for children and spouses. All right, let's press on a little bit. Still on page 83 of the Catechism, question number 68. Marriage is simply not simply a custom or tradition. Rather, it is a solemn and binding agreement between two people. God's word underscores the fact that in marriage, man and woman are making a commitment. So the question is this. What promises are included in in the marriage commitment or marriage contract. Let's just hammer home this one point really quick. Marriage is not custom or tradition. It's not just something we do. Marriage was not invented by people. Marriage was invented and given by God to people as a gift. So what promises are included? Romans 7.2. A married woman is bound to her husband by law as long as he is alive. But if he dies, she is released from this law regarding her husband. Now you've seen that one before. We've read that verse before in the last episode. Marriage is a lifelong contract. That is the going rate for you men. If you want to have a wife... In God's eyes. That's the going rate. That's the price. Take care of her, honor her, cherish her, protect her for life until you die. Same for you women. That's the going rate for a husband. What will it cost you? Your life. Not in the sense that it will kill. Well, I mean, maybe it will kill you. I don't know. In the sense that it will take the rest of the years that you have on earth to keep your your husband or your wife. What else is included in the marriage commitment? Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor by all, and the marriage bed, you understand what we're saying there, that sexual relationship. Again, uh, 19 minutes into the episode, here's your late warning and reminder, this is a PG-13 episode because <laughs> it's a PG-13 commandment. I mean, maybe, maybe we'd say like, PG 10 or 11. You're probably talking to your kids about it around that time, maybe, huh? Okay, so marriage is to be held in honor by all, and the marriage bed, that togetherness sexually, is to be kept undefiled. For God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. You've heard this saying out there, right? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. You're right. 
You're right. And he does. But he doesn't make you wait until judgment day to know what his judgment of that rebellion, that that poor attitude, that sinfulness. He doesn't make you wait until judgment day to find out what, a ju- what his judgment's going to be. He tells you ahead of time. So when we're reading through the catechism and the commandments, and when we're giving the impression that this is the expectation we have, because this is the expectation God has, if anybody answers that by saying, you can't judge me, the answer is, I'm not. But God is. I'm just telling you what he says. Because if you really actually want to wait to judgment day to find out what his judgment is, you're going to be really sorry you did that. Because at that point, there is no more time left to fix the issue. This lifetime is the time you have to come to know what God's judgment is and to find forgiveness in Christ to get ready for the day when he comes back again. So it says here, keep your marriage bed undefiled. Do not be sexual with anybody other than your husband or your wife. Why? Because here's the warning. God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. Which is interesting, the Bible does not go the life advice route on that one, does it? Keep the marriage bed pure, otherwise you're going to be financially hard off. Otherwise, life is just going to get really hard. That's not what it says. It goes the spiritual judgment route every time. God will judge you if you don't do this. Now, some of the life advice route, if you will, is important. We just talked about that, the spiritual, social, and financial stability. Though that it, That's another way of saying it's in your best worldly interest to find a wife, find a husband, stay married, and raise children together. But God goes a different route and says, if you don't do that, namely, if you are sexually active with somebody who is not your wife or your husband, God will judge you. All right, Ephesians 5, here's a, here's a big chapter and a big topic, super countercultural. So trigger warning on this one, Ephesians 5, 21 through 25 and verse 28, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he himself is the Savior. Moreover, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And pressing on in Ephesians 5, Husbands now, he speaks to you, love your wives in the same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands have an obligation to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There is just a whole lot in there. I want to start by talking about this passage in reverse. The passage addresses wives and husbands. I want to speak in reverse, husbands than wives. Husbands, what does God tell you you owe to your wife? He says, and we'll talk about this more in a few minutes, take Christ as your model. And treat your wife like Christ uh, Christ treated the church. And Christ continues to treat the church. Well, how was that? What did Christ do for the church? 
And you would say, of course. He died on the cross. He died for his bride, the church. He died because that's what served the church. It took away our sins in his death. Through shedding his blood, Jesus opened paradise for you and me. So Jesus' love for his bride, the church, knew no limits. He didn't hold anything back. He went all the way, all the way even to the cross. So the application then to husbands, be willing to die for your wives. True enough. True enough. But let me also ask you this. How likely is that to happen? Probably not. I don't think your wife has like a stalker assassin following her around trying to kill her all the time, and you need to be on the constant lookout to jump in front of a bullet. I mean, if that's the case, then that's pretty rare. But yeah, yeah, I guess you should be ready to jump in front of a bullet for your wife. But what else did Christ do for the church before he died? We're celebrating it this coming Christmas. Jesus Christ came down out of heaven. He left his luxury palace man cave, if you will, and came down onto earth to serve his bride, the church. And then for 33 years, dedicated all of his time, his attention, his love, his miracles, his money, everything to his bride, the church. So that nothing was forgotten, nothing was left out, no need went unmet. So what's the application then to husbands who have Christ as their model? Don't just be ready and willing to die for your wife. Be ready and willing to live for her too. Her care and her needs are your highest concern. And you maybe immediately turn around and say, well, what about me? What about my needs and my concern? And my answer is, what about you? How has Christ called us to live as his children? How has Christ called us to live as men of God? He's called us to service, to use our lives and our abilities and our time for the benefit of other people. And the first person on the top of that other people's list, your wife. And right up below that, your children, two through nine, because I'm sure you have no less than eight children. <laughs> Some guys do. Some guys do. The rest of us don't. We don't have that many children. So husbands, be willing to live for your wife. Be willing to die for your wife. And now in reverse order, we'll talk to the wives. Here's, here's what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's a really radical idea, wives. Let your husbands do that. That's what it means. And even have the expectation that they will. Submitting means follow them. Place yourself under that. So if you find a guy that's willing to live for you and die for you, then don't let that guy go. Follow him in life. Stick with him. Let him serve you. 
Encourage him to serve you. How do you do that? By being that gentle, godly, gracious wife. And dear wife, yes, your concern should be to serve your husband, just as his highest concern is to serve you. And so like we said last episode, we're just chasing each other around the house, throwing grace balls at each other, grace bombs back and forth. So we're just constantly trying to chase each other with blessings. Husbands, live and die for your wives. Wives, follow your husbands. Let them lead you because their highest concern is you. And finally, you know you're better off when you have a man championing you. When you have that man doing that for you, it is a good life. Don't listen to culture that's, that's speaking to men and women and saying, get away from each other. Women, you got to be strong and independent. Get away from that man. Man, you gotta, you got to get off that ball and chain. Get out there because there's a lot of other girls for you to be chasing around and sleeping with. There's a lot of fun your wife is stopping you from having. Don't believe a lick of it. Just look at the culture. Since the 1960s sexual revolution, we've been doing exactly that. We've been chasing tail and pretending that we're strong and independent of each other. How's it going? How's it going? Has, has the world gotten better? Have people become happier, more stable, more social, or just the opposite? I think that's a rhetorical question at this point, right? You have people in the world right now that are hungry for something, hungry for meaning and stability. And here's finally what they're hungry for. They're hungry for love. Who will love me? You Christians, you twice the Lutherans have the answer to that. The answer is first and foremost, God in heaven. That's who loves me. We have a God who doesn't demand that we serve him, but just the opposite. We have a God who came down out of heaven to serve us. We have a God who spent his entire life living to meet our highest needs and then used up that life by pinning it to the cross. And even then, even in that death, met our most highest need, the forgiveness of our sins. And in that moment, he declared to us that it wasn't good enough to love us for the 80 or 90 years that we're alive, but he wanted to love us for all of eternity. It wasn't good enough for him to just make his home with us on this earth. It was better in God's mind that we would be together for all eternity. And knowing that we ourselves couldn't bring about that result, he did it for us. There is no higher love than that. Now your wife or your husband could say, I will love you forever, but they can't. They cannot. Why? Because they will die. But God can say that. God does say that, and God can do that. 
So for all who are looking for stability and love in this life, find it first and foremost in Jesus Christ, and then find a man or a woman who is going to show you and reflect that love to you in the marriage contract. I said we'd talk about it, so let's talk about it. Another closer look section on page 84 of the Catechism. The title of this section is, Christ is Our Model. Here's what it says. By comparing the marriage relationship to the model of Jesus and his church, God teaches important truths about marriage. So here's the truths. Husbands and wives are equal in the value in value and in the sight of God. Yet God has revealed that in marriage as in most other relationships there is benefit in having someone take the leadership role. That's what we just talked about. God asks the husband to serve in this role with an attitude of sacrifice. Not demanding that people serve you, husband, but that you are ready to serve them. Back in the catechism, a husband's goals are not to be selfish. Remember, last episode we said selfishness is the opposite of love. Selfishness ruins marriages. And so the catechism here says a husband's goals are not to be selfish. He uses his position of responsibility to do all he can to serve, just as Christ used his authority to be a blessing to others. A husband seeks to love his wife as Christ loved the church, ready to give up everything, including his own life, for her. Male leadership is not to be the Prussian field marshal attitude. There will be order, and you will do what I say when I say it. Is that Prussian? I'm not sure what a Prussian, I'm not even sure what a Prussian field marshal is, to be honest. But in my mind, he sounds an awful lot like that. That sounded kind of German, too. We'll, we'll say a German or a Prussian field marshal. Don't do that. That's a law marriage. That's a law attitude. If dad is stomping around the house with a scowl on his face, barking out orders and saying, God told me I'm in charge and you got to do what I say, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not good. That's not kind. That's not loving. No one feels that their spiritual, emotional, and psychological needs are being met. Everyone kind of gets the kick the dog syndrome going. Oh, dad's on the warpath again. Look out, here he comes. Don't do that. Dad's attitude should be one of getting up in the morning and saying, how can I meet my family's needs today? That's a kind of loving attitude that Christ seeks. But now we don't we don't need this kind of martyr attitude of a sullen, sour service. I guess I'm just here to be a whipping boy. No one loves me. We don't need Eeyore, Dad. What we need is strong, calm, loving leadership. What women and children need from you, Dad, is to be loved. To find stability. 
to find a sense of calm. Because in this crazy world that is so scary and so upside down, nothing is more calming than the presence of a level-headed man who walks into his house and says, everything's going to be just fine. Don't worry. Men, where do you find the strength to do that? Where do you find the strength to have that attitude? There is only one place. In Jesus Christ. You can't know that everything's going to be okay unless you are spending time in the Word with Christ and hearing Him tell you, Dear man, everything's going to be fine. Doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. But everything's going to be okay. Now, Christ as a model, pressing a little further into this closer look section for the wife. As the Christian, I'm sorry, yes, no, I said that right. (laughs) As the Christian church submits to Christ, so a wife submits to her husband. Christians submit to Christ not with resentment, but with joy. Think about if the Christian church resented Jesus, but followed him anyways. There would be this constant eye-rolling, this constant nagging, are you sure you know what you're doing, Jesus? Well, that's not submitting to Christ with joy. That's not how the church follows Christ. The church follows Christ with a calm confidence that says, I know my Savior is leading me where I need to go, and I will follow him. Back to the closer look. A Christian wife honors her husband and respects him as the head, holding a deep appreciation for the responsibility. There's a key word, a responsibility God has given him. She seeks to support, encourage, and assist him. Husband and wife work together to build their marriage and family. Men, you have this responsibility. Women, let your men have that responsibility. Don't take it from them. Men cannot shirk that responsibility to their wives. No man has the blessing to say to his wife, you know, honey, you really are the head of everything around here. Don't say that. You don't have God's blessing to say that. I mean, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Eve eats the fruit from the tree. We talked about this some episodes ago. Adam is right there with her. He should have stepped in to be leader and say, no, God told us don't do that. But Adam didn't. He shirked the responsibility. He let his wife take charge in that instance. And then God shows up. And who does God speak to first? Adam. God goes to the man, the head of the household, Adam, what have you done? So Adam gave the responsibility for leadership to Eve, but even God did not recognize that as legitimate because God shows up and speaks to Adam first. All right, pressing on a little bit more here in the uh, Christ is our model closer look section. Christian husbands and wives can and do sin in their marriage relationships. Christ's perfect model is not always lived perfectly. A Christian husband can fail to love unselfishly. He can fail to lead. A Christian wife can fall short of honoring her husband as her head. 
When husbands and wives see their faults, how blessed they are to know Jesus. Though they are imperfect, he loves them perfectly. Jesus does. He gave his life for their sins. In him, husbands and wives have forgiveness. Jesus' divine love gives them a reason and power to grow and to model their marriage after the relationship between Christ and the church. So if you are a husband and a father, and you listen to this section, and you go, oh no, I have failed on so many of those fronts. If you listen to this section and you say, boy, I have been that husband storming around the house. I've been that Prussian field marshal. Or I've been that husband who has tried to relinquish my responsibility to lead. I've been withdrawn, cold, and aloof. I've been the husband blown around by the wind of of change and terror, and I've been scared and afraid and driving that into my household. Then welcome to the club, brother, if that's been you. Welcome to the club. We have jackets, and they all have name tags. So what do you do? Well, I guess it's time to abandon the family and start a new one, huh? Get it right the second time. No, no. You don't need a new family. You need a new start. And that new start begins with a deep, sobering reflection of your need for Christ. Christ, that perfect husband who never bossed and yelled. Christ, that perfect husband who never was selfish, never had a bitter martyr's attitude. Dear husband, if you failed, take heart. I want to tell you what Christ has done for you. He died as a wicked husband, though he was the perfect husband. So where did he get all the wickedness to die for? If he didn't have any of his own, he took yours. He took your failing, and he went to the cross with it and paid the price. But it didn't win. He did when he came out of that grave again three days later. Dear husband, you have your fresh start. You don't have to storm around the house anymore. You don't have to be short-tempered. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be weak-kneed. You have Jesus. Dear wife, if you've been listening to this episode and these passages from the catechism and you go, oh my, oh my, I've failed. Oh, I've been afraid to follow my husband. I haven't treated him with love and respect. I've been trying to steal his responsibility or I've been living in fear that my husband will make the wrong decision and therefore see it as my duty to correct him at every turn and question him at every decision. Dear wife, those are sinful attitudes. If you have been seeking to be completely independent of your husband, and maybe if not completely independent, then mostly, dear wife, don't give in to fear. 
the Bible not only holds out the church as your example, but also points to Sarah, and we'll probably talk about this in a later episode. Sarah, who went through some very difficult circumstances, to say the least, with her husband, and very trying and terrifying episodes of her life, and yet, what did she do? She followed his lead. She supported him and followed him. And yes, when needed, she gave him gentle correction. Dear wife, if you have not been doing that, then take heart because you have a Savior in Jesus too. You have in Jesus the perfect forgiveness for all of your sins. They were all pinned to the cross. They were all paid for in his blood. And now with your new fresh start, you don't have to be afraid to follow your husband anymore. You don't have to do all that hard work of trying to be strong and independent from your husband. Instead, you can lean into your husband. It's okay. You can encourage him to continue to follow Christ and so be the leader in your household. And guess who gets to come along for the ride when you both do that, husband and wife? The children. The children are so well served by that whole interchange when they see mom and dad forgiving each other when they fail, when they see mom and dad chasing each other around the house, trying to serve each other better and better with happiness and joy. Then they too enjoy a stable, loving Christian household. And it bleeds out of your house and into your church and out of your church and into the world. Life is good. Centered in Christ and loving each other, life is just so good. So make it your goal this week. Enjoy those blessings of marriage more and more. Chase each other around. And let me know how it goes. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to Twice the Lutheran. Reach out and say hi. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. In case I don't see ya, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.